If you can keep your Bibles open at Psalm 27. Uh, this morning I preached from three chapters. Uh, this evening I'm just going to preach on one verse. Uh, so you're getting your mix tonight, today. Um, Psalm 27, verse 4. David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. At least so far in the reading of God's Word, may you reform our lives to its truth. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have preserved your Word for us to lead and guide us. We pray now that as we consider this verse, as we pick it up as a diamond and observe it from different angles, we pray that you would speak to us, uh, lead us, particularly our affections, that we would love you and desire you, and dear Lord, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why do people love beauty? Why do we love beauty? Why do we love beautifully told stories? Why do we love beautiful art and music? Why do we love staring at beautiful scenery? Well, C.S. Lewis answers those questions, and his answer is essentially that we all desire beauty because we all desire to belong to beauty. Uh, he said this, We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows, even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see. To pass into it. To receive it into ourselves. To bathe in it. To become part of it. See, what C.S. Lewis recognized as a literary critic and as a great storyteller, is that we want to be captivated by beauty. We want to be lost in that which is beautiful. Isn't that why we gravitate towards beautiful things? Now with that in mind, with that at the back of your mind, let me ask this question. How do you see God? Do you see God as this captivating beauty? Do you see him as Isaiah 28 verse 5 describes him as a diadem of beauty? Is that how you view God? Is that how you think of God? Do you see God as that incomparable beauty which you not only want to see but experience? I would venture to say that not many think of God this way. Many think of God as this austere being who wants too much of us. This taskmaster that just wants us to jump through religious hoops. Now in the psalm, that's not how David sees God. Now in the psalm, David is the man after God's own heart, and he reveals to us that God is actually someone who is beautiful. He reveals to us that God is the source and joy and delight of his heart, so much so that he desires to see more and more of him. In fact, David's one singular and supreme desire is to see more of God's beauty and to be captivated by more of the beauty of the Lord. And so this evening, what I want us to consider 
is these words of David. And God willing, we will see something of God's beauty and desire more of his beauty. And I want us to see three things as we consider this verse. The, the love of beauty, the loss of beauty, and ultimately the Lord of beauty. Let's start with the love of beauty. If you had to ask 10 different people what is beauty, you'd get 10 different answers. We often hear the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But what we need to realize is that although beauty is, is notoriously difficult to define, all of us in one way or another love beauty. Although all of us have different subjective experiences and expectations of that which is beautiful, all of us have objectively experienced the joy and the delight of finding something beautiful. For one person, it's the intricacies of classical music. For another person, it's the complexity of metal. If you don't like metal, come speak to me afterwards. I'll tell you it's beautiful. Although, God, although both experience very different styles of beauty, it is undeniably true that both have a capacity to enjoy beauty. See, beauty is that which evokes a response. It is that which produces joy and pleasure. It is that which leads one to awe and praise. Beauty is therefore something we love, we desire, and pursue. Whether it's in nature as we look at waterfalls or sunsets or flowers or forests or mountains. Whether it's in human creation, in music, art, poetry, architecture. All of us long for beauty. For all of us, beauty is something that is to be loved. Augustine put it this way, after beauty my soul sighs day and night. Another author has said this way, beauty attracts us. It evokes our wonder and joy and arouses a flood of delight and inconsolable longing. We fall in love with beauty, sing its praises, and want to stay in its presence. See, there's something innate in every single one of us that gravitates towards beauty, which is all to say we are lovers of beauty. Now, philosophers and theologians have often spoken through the centuries of, of three transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty. And they're called transcendentals because they're universally true. All of us, at one level or another, desire that which is true, not falsehood, that which is good, not bad, and that which is beautiful, not horrible. Now, it's quite interesting. Of these three, beauty is in a class of its own. Because beauty isn't just a means to an end, it is its end. You can pursue truth as a means to an end. Think of Jesus, he said, seek the truth and the truth will set you free. And there truth can be used as a means to a greater end, in this case, freedom. Or goodness, it's the same there. We often do good things because we want something in return. We want the honor or the joy of that. Goodness can be pursued for another end. But see, both truth and goodness can be used as a means to end. That cannot be said of beauty, because beauty is its end. When you are in awe of a beautiful landscape, when you stand captivated by a beautiful painting, when you are moved within your heart by a beautiful piece of music, that wonder and that joy, that delight is the end goal. See, when you pursue that which is beautiful, the delight which that beauty produces is the purpose. 
And I think David recognizes some of this when he says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. See, understand this as you read the context. David has many needs. He is surrounded by enemies. David's life is threatened on every side. Yet what is the overriding purpose that he has for life? What is that thing that David wants to spend all his days upon? It is to behold the beauty of God, what theologians call the, call the beautific vision, this end goal of seeing God in his glory and beauty and wonder. And David, this just doesn't, David doesn't want to just see God's beauty as a means to something else. No, beholding God's beauty is the end goal. Remember, David is a man after God's own heart, and I believe his example is given to us to remind us that we were made not only to love and enjoy beauty, but we were made to love and enjoy the beauty that is to be found in God. See, we love beauty because we were made to love the God who is beautiful. God is the creator of everything we find beauty, beautiful. He has created us with this capacity to enjoy the beauty that we see. Again, to quote Augustine, he said this, God is the beauty of all things beautiful. Jonathan Edwards goes so far as to say that beauty is that which makes God God. He said, God is God and distinguished from all other beings and exalted above them chiefly by his divine beauty. Even Herman Boving, the great Dutch theologian, said this, the pinnacle of beauty, the beauty towards which all creation points, is God. He is the supreme being, the supreme truth, the supreme goodness, and the apex of unchanging beauty. Who is it that made these changeable things beautiful, if not the unchangeable, beautiful one? So the very fact that we enjoy beautiful things is a point within us that we were made to enjoy the beautiful one. The love of beauty is ingrained within each of us because we were made to love the God who is supremely beautiful. And dear friend, when you are in awe of that beautiful landscape, when you stand captivated by that beautiful painting, when you are moved within your heart by a beautiful piece of music, that is your soul longing for the beauty of God. We were made to love beauty because we are made to love God and know God. Yet we need to recognize there has been a loss. We have lost something, and that leads to the second point, the loss of beauty. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 28. You have said, seek my face. That would seek there is plural. It's in the imperative. It's a command given to all. And then David affirms that he has obeyed this command. He says, my heart says to you, your face do I seek. Now Psalm 105 verse 4 gives the exact same command. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. See, in these verses, we see what God's desire is. God wants his people to desire after him, to find joy and delight in him. He wants his people to behold his beauty in his presence. Why? Because we have been made for him. 
Isaiah 43, 7, God says of his people, everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory, I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. See, God has made us for his glory, not just to glorify him, but to enjoy his glory. Again, to quote Augustine, Augustine said this when you may know the quote quite well, you stir a man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now it's at this point, isn't it, that we also realize and come to realize we have not often found rest in God. We have often not desired God's beauty. We have often not sought after God's glory. We even see this in David, don't we? The very fact that David has to ask the Lord to grant him this desire, the very fact that David seeks this as his desire shows us that there is a need. What David's spirit teaches us is that there are things that keep us from God's presence. There are things that keep us from enjoying the beauty of God. Now think about that. Although David says his one desire is to gaze upon the beauty of God, we know, don't we, that this hasn't always been David's desire. In fact, David himself, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, chose the beauty of a woman over obedience to the beautiful God. And like David, we were made to enjoy God's beauty, yet we are often blinded to God's beauty. And and why is that? Because of our sin. If God is the source of all things beautiful, sin is the source of all spiritual and moral ugliness. Sin is a cancer. Sin, it's, it's leprosy. It's rot. It's rust that destroys beauty. It robs us of beauty and perverts the love of beauty. It separates us from the God who is the pinnacle of beauty and brings about a devastating loss of that which is truly beautiful. Isaiah 59, verse 2, you note, well, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. His beautiful face, his glorious face is turned from us because of our sin. See, David longs to be in the house of the Lord. He longs to be in the presence of God so that he can gaze upon the beauty of God, yet sin removes us from God's presence. It hinders us from beholding the God who is in and of himself beautiful. As Paul would explain in Romans 1, in our sin we have exchanged the, 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 Im- the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Another way to say that is this, in our sin we desire the beauty of this world instead of the one who makes all things beautiful in this world. Now to illustrate how silly this is, Imagine with me someone loved a picture of you more than they loved you. They have you around them, but they cling to a picture of you and just ignore you sitting in the corner of the room. That, That would be silly, right? Exactly, that's the point. Sin is silly. That's what we've done in our sin. We've loved the beauty of the created things that point us to God, and rather we have despised and ignored the God who has made all things beautiful. Piper is right when he said, at the root of sin is blindness to God's beauty. And so let us understand, this is the result of sin, a loss of beauty. 
In fact, for those who do not know God, for those who, who die in their sin, for those who are outside of Christ, they will forever be without beauty. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, Paul warns us this way. He says, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That is to say, those who are made to find satisfaction in the beauty of God, yet they've rejected God, they will be forever without God, forever without beauty. They will forever be away from Him, dwelling in the consequences of their hideous sin. They will be forever dissatisfied. See, we've experienced a loss of beauty. And so given our inherent love for beauty and given our desire and given this loss for loss of beauty, what is our hope? That leads me to the third and final point for this evening. It is the Lord of beauty. Given our love of beauty and our loss of beauty, our only hope is enjoying the beauty we were made to behold. It is quite simply to return to and to be reconciled to the God of beauty. And now where is that Lord, where is the Lord of beauty to be found? Well, look at verse 4 again. Where does David long to be? He longs to be in the house of the Lord. He longs to be in the tabernacle, which he here describes as, as, as the temple. May I suggest to you there are at least four things that would be visible to David as he worships in the tabernacle. First, in the tabernacle, the beauty of God's presence was seen. God's glorious presence would have filled that place. His Shekinah glory would dwell there above the mercy seat. Which would remind us that, that God isn't this abstract, distant, far-removed God, but a God who is to be found in the midst of His people. And they behold His presence, His glory. But also in the tabernacle, the beauty of God's holiness would be seen. It is a place of holiness with holy set-apart furniture. It had the Holy of Holies, which had the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments within it, which was meant to guide us and make us holy because God is holy. But, but thirdly, in the tabernacle, the beauty of God's justice also was seen. God provided the sacrificial system week after week, month after month, year after year. Bloody sacrifice after bloody sacrifice would have been made. Why? To point out the seriousness of our sin and to point out that God is just. And punish sin and our sin deserves punishment. Sin isn't cheap. It deserves death without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sin. So in the tabernacle, God's justice is to be bowed. And finally, in the tabernacle, the beauty of God's love was also seen. God provided in that place a high priest to intercede and to represent his people. God provided a high priest to, to make atonement for sin. See, the high priest was, as with the entire sacrificial system, was a beautiful display of God's love toward his people. That he provides a way out of sin. See, all in all, that's what David would have longed to see. To see the beauty of his God who is holy and just and loving and present. 
to David longed to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the house of God. And dear friends, beloved of God, rejoice. Rejoice because you don't have to go to a temple to see God's beauty. You don't have to go to some tent out in the bush to see the glory of God. No, you can see the beauty of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the point of the tabernacle. He is the, the reality to which that shadow pointed to. He himself is the Lord of beauty. In Jesus, we see the presence of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, God dwelling with his people. He is the glory of God revealed in grace and truth. But Jesus is also the holiness of God. He lived a life of perfect holiness and obedience and righteousness. He obeyed the law without spot, without blemish, without fault. And Jesus is the most beautiful display of the love of God. He was sent in love to be our high priest, to represent us, to take our place. He willingly gives his life on the cross for us. And in Jesus we see the perfect justice of God as, as he who knew no sin became sin for us. He who was innocent paid for our sin to reconcile us, to justify and satisfy the wrath of God. If you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, then look to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the gospel. Here is the beauty of God. Here is the beauty of the Lord displayed. So Jesus, who was the form of God, took on the form of a servant and died an ugly death. Another way to say that Jesus, he who for all eternity was glorious in beauty, took on our humanity and the ugliness of our sin. Why? To save us, to, to sanctify us, to satisfy us, and to satisfy our longing with, the peace, with peace with God. Uh, one of my favorite writers, I don't read a lot of fictional stuff, but one of my favorite writers is Dostoevsky, particularly his book called The Idiot. Some of you may have read it, and if you haven't, that's a good book to jump into. But in that book, Dostoevsky tells a story of a young man called Prince Leof Myshkin. Myshkin is a young man marked by childlike innocence. Uh, he's upright, he's honest, he's trustworthy, Yet within the high society of Petersburg, as Dostoevsky tells it, Myshkin is ruthlessly mocked as an idiot. Although he's a grown man, he is viewed as a child. Although he shows kindness to everyone, most see him as a fumbling idiot. Now Dostoevsky was making a point. He was saying that this innocent, upright man who is very Christ-like, to an unrighteous world, he seems foolish. And there's a lesson there. See, that's how the world sees our Christianity. It's foolish. Righteousness is foolish in the eyes of unrighteousness. But one of the things that Myshkin is, is mocked for in the story is his belief that beauty will save the world. At a particular dinner party, Myshkin makes the comment which takes everyone by storm and he's laughed at when he says, beauty will save the world. And realize Dostoevsky puts that random tidbit in there to kind of Pique our interest. What do you mean? What, is, what, is saving, what does beauty have to do with saving the world? Will beauty, in fact, save the world? Now, what is interesting in the story, uh, in comparison to all the other characters, my skin is absolutely beautiful. Perhaps not physically, 
but definitely morally and spiritually. He is kind, he's caring, he's gentle, he's compassionate. And as the story unfolds, Mashkin falls in love with Nastasia. Nastasia is a be- physically beautiful, attractive woman that most of the men in the story lust after. But Mashkin, however, doesn't love her because of lust. No, he loves her because he wants to save her. Although she's outwardly beautiful, inwardly she's broken. She's a mess. She's a wreck. And so Mashkin, this outwardly, inwardly beautiful character, tries to save this outwardly beautiful woman who is inwardly a horrible mess. And guess what? Mashkin almost saves her. She falls in love with him, and they elope, and they love each other, and it seems that there will be healing and restoration and hope. It seems like there's a happy ending. And if you read Dostoevsky, you know there really is. Now, it turns out she's too broken, too, her heart is too twisted, and so she ends up running away from Mashkin, runs into the arms of his enemy, and eventually she's murdered. And at the end of the novel, Mashkin is devastated. His love is lost, his health is gone, his world seems ruined. And at the end of the novel, it seems that beauty, in fact, doesn't save the world. In fact, it seems that beauty is corrupted by the world. Now, why I share that long story, what's my point? It simply is this, there's only one beauty that will save the world, and that beauty is the Lord Jesus Christ who isn't corrupted by this world. One who is perfectly holy and glorious in himself, who took on all humanity, the ugliness of our sin, and wasn't ruined by our sin, but conquered our sin, dealt with it, removed it as far as the east is from the west. And it is by faith in him alone that we are saved from that sin and that we are actually in turn beautified. How is that? When you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, your hideous rags of unrighteousness are replaced with his beautiful garments of salvation. And when that happens, the Father doesn't see your hideousness. He doesn't see your filth, your brokenness, your twisted heart, your unrighteousness. No, He sees the beauty and the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only only that, those who are united to Christ by faith have their eyes open to now actually behold beauty to now see it and to behold it and to be transformed by it into its image. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And therefore, as C.S. Lewis said, we all want to pass into beauty. We all want to be united with the beauty we see. We want to bathe in it. We want to become part of it. Oh, beloved, the beauty we love, the beauty we long for, is to be found in the Lord of beauty, the Lord Jesus Christ. He and He alone is the beauty that will save the world. He and He alone is the beauty that can beautify you. And so gaze upon Him. Look to Him. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ and live by faith with your heart in love with him. 
And you'll see the beauty of God more and more and have your desire met as hopefully David would have it met in meeting Christ. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to praise and adore you, to worship you as the one true and living God, the only one who can satisfy our souls, the only one who can fulfill our longing hearts. And we plead with you this evening that we would look again to Christ, that we would behold the glory of God in his face, that we would be a people who are not led astray by the things of this world, its painted pleasures, its foolish delights, but rather that we would, as we sang earlier, behold our God and rejoice in you and be transformed into your image. Help us, we pray in this. Renew our heart, renew our faith in you and beautify us after Christ. We ask this all in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.